Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing the perfect chalk. Nick, tell us about what is the perfect chalk? Why? What, what are we talking about? Well, I was I was reading an article recently about a uh, Japanese company called Hagoromo who went out of business in 2015, um, and they they were most famous for their full touch chalk product, which was uh, basically the, the this has been described as the Rolls Royce of chalk, and um, it uh, is apparently regarded by mathematicians, particularly obviously who who use uh, blackboards, as just by far and away the best chalk in the world that nothing else comes close it has a lovely coating apparently it people say that it's impossible to write an incorrect proof using this chalk it's so it's so beautiful to use <laughs> um and uh and obviously now that you know people are the stocks are dwindling i think other people are producing their machines were sold when when it was uh when the company went under and i think other people are possibly producing it but i guess real chalk connoisseurs will now highly prize the original you know existing stocks of Hagoromo chalk but it reminded me of um now i'm a big fan of uh the mitsubishi pencil company's uh uniball pen it's really the only pen I ever use, and it has been for about the last twenty years. And um, they're not—they're not in any way connected, by the way, with the Mitsubishi other Mitsubishi company. Oh, okay. Uh, so they—they they, they, this is a, the Mitsubishi pencil company again, another Japanese company. And they're—they're they're, um, and and uh, now I I uh, I do quite a lot of maths, and um, I did not have never. It's impossible to to do maths on a computer right and um a uniball pen and uh and a, and a squared notepad i have to have those it's got to be those two things uh to do maths and because there's so much scribbling in the margins you know proof bits of proof going off in weird directions flicking backwards and forwards between pages that it's totally impossible to do that digitally and i um and and you know likewise with mathematicians and and uh, blackboards that they you know apparently it's just not um you know whiteboards don't don't come close it has to be a blackboard i totally get that I, I've never I'm not a blackboard user, but by analogy, I can see where they're coming from. And so I thought it was interesting to think about these technologies that are kind of irre, irreplaceable, you know, technologies that where it doesn't look like actually it doesn't matter how inventive we are, uh, that perhaps we reach the pinnacle and there's no going back. You know, that actually may be surprising, though, it may seem chalk and blackboard, which is, you know, thousands of years old. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's just they've nailed it first time, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, it basically uh, te technologies that are immune to obsolescence, I think, okay. is what I'm interested in. And so, Peter is obviously the technology man. So that's, yeah, be interesting to hear is. Yeah, Peter, wax lyrical. Uh, well, I, I think the, the chalkboard and the chalk are probably an evolution of the original chalk on slate. Mm. So they've been honed over hundreds of thousands of years from probably quite an unpleasant writing experience by modern standards to something that's extremely good but i i agree i i'm, I'm with you that paper and pen or paper and pencil there's nothing quite like it yet digitally like it, so things are coming close though so i've got a thing called a remarkable tablet uh 
that's actually the name. That's not just how I describe it. Uh, it it's uh, it, and it and it seeks to imitate paper as closely as possible. So it doesn't it has fairly no frills. It's not like an iPad. There's no notifications. There's no distractions. It's just a paper writing experience, but a digital one. And it's pretty darn close. You can to, rest. Can you rest your hand on you it? You can rest your hand on it. Yeah. Is what, what's the friction like? Very paper-like. It's a bit like a pencil on paper. It's got a nice nylon tip on a sort of slightly matted screen, so you even get that subtle feedback of yes, yeah. the kind of yeah, the vibration of the the thing on the on the on the on the paper. Um, it's let down slightly by its software at the moment, but it's kind of getting there. It feels very nice, and it looks like pe- it looks like pencil. It even it responds even to the angle at which you hold the pen and things, so you can shade. Uh, in a similar way that you would with a with a, with a pencil. Out of interest, have you com- compared it to the iPad, whatever it's called, the iPad Pro? Yeah, have you tried? I've that? never tried an iPad Pro, but I've got something similar. I've got I've got a pen for a different thing. But anyway, the point is that I think these technologies are kind of getting there. Yeah, You'd be able to have a digital replacement for paper. Um, uh, certainly, graphic so certainly graphics designers and 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 artists use graphics tablets in place of paper because the output they need to have a digital output, which is much more versatile. Yeah, yeah and in fact, I know D- David Hockney, who of course you know is a very respected artist. You know, in in terms of his technical ability, uh, has gone entirely digital and uh, you know only p- paints on uh, you know on 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 a tablet, which is. Uh, interesting to me because you might expect um you know an established artist to be much more defensive about traditional artistic technologies but um but no he's uh, you know very accomplished on the on in digital in terms of production of digital art yeah i mean although he's probably getting towards the end of his career this might just be his ipad period that's all he might go on to other things but indeed but anyway um well look there's one example. Mm. So, uh, arguably, we can say um, chalk and uh, cheese. No, not chalk and cheese. Chalk and blackboards. Cheese is never going to go out of fashion. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, yeah I've got, I do have some examples. Yes. Yeah. So we've these had pen are, and paper, and then so technologies that don't seem to be you know going anywhere anytime soon. The granddaddy of them all, really, the king of the inventions. Well, hold on. Hold the good old-fashioned wheel. No? Wheel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. There are wheels all over the place, Fraser. I don't know if you've noticed them, but they're pretty fundamental. Um, cutlery. Cutlery. Okay. Yeah, cutlery. And actually, you know, when I was making this list, I discovered quite how many things are still in use that are actually ancient inventions. Uh, also, sorry to interrupt, but I'm just guessing. Yeah. Even if, if, let's say you went to um, chopsticks. Um, I bet that's even more ancient and even more unchanged than Western cutlery. Quite, quite possibly. Yeah, anyway. I don't know enough about the history of chopsticks. But then we got, uh, uh, you know, ladders, ropes, and stairs, you know, stuff like that, right? Um, the compass, pretty significant invention, still in use. There's one in your mobile phone, a compass, uh, still fundamentally using the same idea. Um, calendars, concrete, clocks. Um, uh, then sort of steam engines, very old technology, but still, I mean, as far as I know, that, you know, turbines that are used to generate electricity and not are not a million miles in terms of fundamentals removed from the design of the steam engine. Um, vaccines, batteries, computers, compu- the computer is coming up to its 200th anniversary in 1820. In, uh, so it was invented in 1822. The refrigerator, remarkably, is... Uh, 
is uh, it was invented in 1834. An interesting fact I discovered the other day that the first fax, which was based on the telegraph, uh, predated the the uh, Pony Express in the in the in the US. Uh, and then you've got classics like steel, the electric bulb, more modern things like aeroplane, transistor, ARPANET now, I think over 50 years old. So uh, actually a lot of old technologies still having a significant influence in our lives. And that's to say nothing of sort of the things we carry around and use constantly like pens or cardboard boxes or pockets, you know, clothes. Um, you know, I... they're, they're really, we, we, we think of ourselves as technologically advanced, but actually technology isn't really doing much in the rest in most of our lives i don't know if i 100 percent. okay agree. go for it well Change for example one of the things you mentioned there was fridge okay mm. um it seems to me that there's just an original technology that was 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 made and then it's you've just got further iterations of that and improvements and materials change and and all sorts of things change so around it's it a, it's a refinement on yeah it's a, a refinement. very original idea like yeah keep, keep it like Having a box that's cold to put food in, yeah, is very old. I mean, right. before before the mechanical ele- electromechanical fridge, you had ice boxes and ice houses, yeah, um, and yeah. then holes in the ground and things like that. To, yeah, but as far as I understand but, it, the 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 basic that the innovation was using sort of gas decompression uh, as a means of call, of extracting heat. Mm. So I and guess I at, at the heart of the it, there is. I mean, something I it just doesn't seem quite as pure. As the as the as the original example we started with, which was uh, chalk on a blackboard, because I surely even even this Haruga company, whatever it's called, they they kind of changed it that much. No, but as and, Peter was saying, I bet I mean they're probably really high tech. Mm. This chalk probably the result of quite a lot of intensive process and research. Mm. And um, you know, it's not just like they grab a lump of chalk and make it into a cylinder. Okay, okay. Um, all right, so lots of examples there of unchanging stuff. So I mean our. I mean, I, 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 there's, I mean, I, I, slightly ill at ease with some of the other things on your list. When does a, a, a behavior become a technology? I mean, there are some things there which are sort of behavioral things that we want to do. Like you could argue that writing on a piece of paper is just writing stuff, is writing rather than the technology that you involved. Then the, the, the evolution of certainly things like the ARPANET and the internet. Internet looks nothing like what ARPANET looked like. But it's just bigger, isn't it? I mean, it's just more. <coughs> there are more things plugged into it. The well, the fun, the the technologies are fun. The techn- the the bits of kit, the boxes are fundamentally different. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's I guess the, that's I- it, the right? idea so, is the same. Yeah. I think the, what we what we unearthing here is that actually it's quite hard to say what a technology actually is and what mm. it entails and what's fundamental to it and which bits are kind of peripheral. Um, you know, whether or not writing uh, is something, whether we can meaningfully say that um, you know a remarkable tablet is basically the same as pen and paper. It's basically just, you know, an evolution of pen and paper. And we shouldn't even really consider it a new technology. It's basically the same technology in a slightly different form. Um, or or whether actually there's something, whether it represents a kind of fundamental shift. Um, and I, I just, one of the things that I was thinking about in the context of this exact question of, of you know, wh- whether or not remarkable tablets and their ilk are going to end up taking over uh, you know, from pen and paper, just like we, you know, have still having the discussion about whether e-readers are going to take over from books, and uh, you know whether Google Glass is going to take over from various things, and with you know, it, there there is often hidden physicality 
in in a technology which you don't notice until you try to replace it with something so i mean i, I think that you know examples i mean so the pen and paper for example you know there really is like no substitute for being able to quickly flick back and forth transcribing a, an equation or something from one page to the next just being able to flick back and forth no no technology at the moment is can keep up with that uh, in terms of my sort of working memories having my hand on one screen effectively on one piece of paper and having my eye looking at another piece of paper mm. like that's very very difficult to replicate without something which is quite physical um but um yeah but i mean also you know things like uh things like um you know board games like computer games have not displaced them with books even like you know they've shown that recall is better when yeah. people have a physical book because their phys the physicality of the book is affecting the way that they're Hmm. interpreting the information knowing how much you've read for example how far through the book you are even knowing where on the page something is those things have been shown to affect the way that people engage with books so you know we wouldn't have expected that i don't think you might say well e-readers are just obviously better you can have a thousand books in one thing and yet you know there i am carrying three books around with me because i can't stand e-readers which actually makes me think of another podcast we did which was about why is it that all um, good things always come to an end? Well, actually, maybe they don't. And because books is a good example of, of where they've actually shown to be resistant, as we, as we say, to e-readers and so on. Um, okay, where do we want to go with this? Uh, well, one of, the, one, of the, one of the things we were sort of discussing before we recorded was like, how do we know what, uh, that a technology is good? How do you just know that it's good and there isn't a better alternative? Um, the example we had was mobile phones. Um, it also sounds we're venturing into also Betamax versus um, whatever the other one was. VHS. VHS, yeah. there we go. Can well, you not remember the one that won? I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, I'm not, sorry, interrupted, not, Peter. Not necessarily which is the best of a particular kind of technology, but given that you do something in a certain way with a thing at the moment... How do you know at what point you should abandon that for the new thing that does that plus other stuff? Or, well, this sounds a like a brilliant way. muskets versus archery kind of thing. Yeah, because there's, I mean, when a new, new bit, new technology comes along, it's very, it's unusual that it's doing the same thing in a better way. It's usually doing something similar or more in a new way. It's, there's, there's a distinction there. So, mobile fo uh, smartphones, for example, um, they might, you know, as we said, they might go out of vogue one day be replaced by something uh, what but how like how likely is that and what other things you know will chairs go out of vogue you know will we stop wanting to sit because we've been re been we've invented some sort of exoskeleton or something that everyone wears that means you don't need to or you know will will duvets be replaced by sheets or something or infrared you know heat breathers yeah infrared heat yeah, breathers, yeah. hot air blowers yeah, yeah. Um, how do we know that there's not like a better way of doing something and we just haven't tried it yet? Yeah, what's the answer? I don't know. I think we intrinsically don't. Yeah. Because if we did, then we'd have already done it. You know? Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. I, I think there are plenty it's... of mad people coming up with crazy ideas about new ways of doing things. And some of them, some of them turn out not to be so crazy. Yeah, I, I don't, but I don't think there's any way of knowing in advance what things are you know gonna gonna be um gonna turn out to you know be replaceable by something else and you know a lot of uh often technology can be really surprising you know mm. 
And I think it's, that's why technology predictions are really terrible. I mean, you look at AI, which you might think probably, you know, when we get something close to a general artificial intelligence, it's going to be maybe the most significant invention we've ever made. And some people think, well, the last invention, because from then on, AIs will be doing all the inventing. Um, you know, p- predictions for when that might happen range from sort of never to, you know, five years time. Um, no one has a clue. We just don't know because we don't know what the, the form of the solution is going to look like and what the technological constraints are that we're going to discover are there that we didn't know about, you know. Mm. So, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question, uh, but it's, I, I don't see any way of, of answering it. Mm. It's like trying to predict which company is going to last. For, in many ways, it's the same question. You know, how are you going to know, um, you what know. technology yeah, come along and, yeah. Like, like that, things, things like um, social networks, which have made a lot of things uh, obsolete, a lot of specialist things you remember friends reunited for yeah. example and that looks like oh well that was a huge area which everyone was going to go into as sort of you know reminiscences about school and then you might think well why don't we have social networks about pubs and stuff and then facebook came up and it was like no we only need this one thing and and suddenly all of these things that looked like they were really super viable all just disappeared you know hmm. so I've got, I've got something i want to ask about before i do anything else before i ask that okay so um so let's speculate for a moment, uh, make some predictions about things that might go into obsolescence. What, what, what do you see coming? And, and actually, this reminds me once of a, um, a quite insightful um, um, Simpsons episode where I forget the context, but they had a, a pile of um, gramophone records, a pile of um, tapes, uh, and they had then they had a space marked reserved for CDs. Yeah, mm. and it was all, and and that and that that was like twenty years ago, and of course they were completely right. Um, so yeah, what what let's predict what might sort of fall out of fashion or into obsolescence. I mean, the first, the big one, surely, is mobile phones. We've already talked about it. Will it seem? I mean, it, you see people coming out of st- tube stations now, and the first thing you know, they reach their mobile phones because they need to know where they're going to go. Will we look back at that and see that on TV yeah, and I, laugh? And I, yeah, I, I think you still have mobile computational devices and things on your body but they'll probably be replaced by more convenient things that aren't a separate object that kind of you wear them as a watch or there is a it's a you wear a contact lens or a head-up display on your on your on your glasses things like that but you'll still have you'll probably always end up with some connection to the internet that provides you with information yeah i, I mean there is another alternative which would be personalized sort of displays you know where where you you kind of basically don't need to carry anything and there's no computation required because all the computation is done centrally where it's more efficient yeah, that's true. and 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 you're just your all they need to know is your position mm. and wherever you go and you can see looking, a screen which yeah. says you know fred's waiting in the dog and duck yeah uh, and you go and you go and find him would it be a personal screen or maybe no i'm, I'm just screen? i'm just since we're in the realm of speculation i'm just i'm just thinking of another potential solution you know mm. a kind of parallel universe where mobile phones didn't exist but you had um other means of getting that information uh yeah, you yeah. know that you basically you know the computation follows you around without yeah. you having to carry it yeah um what else i can think of another one but okay, what else? I, I do have a really controversial one go on it's controversial in the context of it being the number one thing peter and i always argue about I think Google search. Ooh. I think Google search is gonna die. Go go yeah, go on. First of all, it's shit. It is really, really bad now. I'm 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 unable to find things on Google by entering them in direct quotes and knowing that they're every you know, swamped by um 
by sponsored you know links and by hundreds of very very similar links from kind of bloody social network buzzfeed quizzes you know when i was doing research for another podcast looking for things about general knowledge i couldn't find any research about general knowledge because all i was getting was page after page of general knowledge quizzes you know so i i and i and, and i had, had did a little bit of research around this and i find that i'm not alone in in this having this perception and I wonder if we're going to go back to something a bit more akin to a kind of digital version of uh, index cards that actually, even though Google killed Yahoo, Yahoo tried to curate the Internet and the Internet was way too big for Yahoo to curate it. And Google came along and you could just find stuff. Now, I think maybe the problem is it's too big for Google again. Mm. And perhaps we do need curators. So I, I think there's going to increasingly be a, a demand for um, for curated uh, curated search. So think, anyway, that's think, a zany, zany yeah, I think prediction. there's something in that, but I think it can be left up to the content creators to provide additional structure and metadata around their content. So it helps the user ultimately filter it. So I, I, I also I understand why you think that, but the, my only concern is is what has happened to online ratings. I don't trust any online ratings now. Right. I just don't. It's it's so it's you know, there's so many studies now into how they've been gamed and, you know, how companies have tried to monetize them and how marketing has kind of basically spoiled their their trustworthiness that I sort of think, well, I don't even I don't trust a, you know, crowd to do that. I don't trust trust a crowd of of um, of of commenters to do that or you know creators I, I actually want some a trusted authority to do it for me mm. which is which is goes against everything that the internet was supposed to be about but i i think i've come to the conclusion that it doesn't work we tried it and it doesn't work yep. decentralized stuff just fails me too many on too many occasions so anyway i'll just put that out there yeah, it's interesting yeah. peter uh, so i think um the traditional organization the business as a as a as a thing will maybe not completely be eliminated but very much diminished i think the hyper connectivity we will have and the, the capacity to self-organize into groups to perform a certain role could reach the point where we don't need static organizations as, as perpetual legal entities to exist anymore and i spot an opportunity i but i don't know i can only do half of it i can put a shout out on the internet and somehow find someone that I can rate as being trustworthy and then team up with them instantly to 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 fulfill that that contract so a very sort of very dynamic very sort of self-organizing very loose coupling between um people or group or small groups of people mm. i would love to see that I, it, I like the medieval connotations as well of, of everyone being a sort of journeyman you know and being mm. able to being able to just ply your trade whatever you are even in, and you know your you know there are people now you could get business you know secretaries as a service and business managers you know as a service and and i i think that's just that would be brilliant yeah you know, and because firms are so soul destroying anyway, you know, the idea of a permanent contract, I'd love it. So that if, if, if in 100 years time people look back and go, why are all these comedy programs and books written about how miserable working in companies were? And yet everyone was doing it. Why? You know? Yeah. 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 Um, OK, well, look, I think we'll wrap up there. Thank you very much, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrewer. We've been here with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.